So today we're continuing in this biblical theology series. If you're just not picking up where we left off the last several weeks, we've been identifying biblical themes that run from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from the Garden of Eden all the way to the new earth in Revelation. And all of it is centered upon Jesus Christ. He is the whole point. Jesus is the goal. He is the hope. He is a prize. He is our joy. He is the creator and the sustainer, the redeemer. And so all of redemption, all of redemptive history focuses on the person of Jesus. It is one story. The Bible is not a collection of lots of stories. It is one. And it's about the glory of God being displayed by redeeming a people that will belong to him, all things reconciled through Jesus. And this singular story that we're looking at has lots of different threads that all come together and create one magnificent interwoven masterpiece. And that is what the Bible is. It is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative masterpiece. That's what it is, and it is for us to study and to submit to. So we treasure the Bible, and we submit ourselves to it. And so that is what we're doing here together. And today we're going to look at the biblical thread of kingdom, how the kingdom of God begins in Genesis, and it is woven throughout the entire Bible, and it defines our very lives. So God's kingdom defines who we are. Now, let's just be upfront. As Americans, we have no idea what it means to be ruled by a king. Like, the last king was stopped, you know, King George III in 1776. So we haven't exactly had a king around here in these here parts in quite a while. And, and to make things worse, better, I don't know, depends on your perspective, we're Texan. So if being American isn't enough, we're Texan. So when I lived overseas in Abu Dhabi, whenever you meet someone from Indiana or Iowa or Idaho or anywhere else in the country, you would say, so where are you from? Oh, I'm American. I'm from America. That's just normal. But when you met someone who was from Texas, they never said, I'm American. I never once heard a Texan say, yeah, I'm from the U.S. Now, Indiana, Pennsylvania, they would all say, I'm from the U.S. But a Texan, you would know within like 30 seconds, yeah, I'm from Texas. I'm Texan. It was like, oh, so what, what country are you from? I already told you, I'm from Texas. I'm, I'm from the Republic of Texas. Like, it's just, it's in our, our DNA. We love it, and we push back against tyranny and against an oppressive government. It's part of being a Texan. I mean, our battle cry was, remember the Alamo, where men gave their lives, and Gonzalez, come and take it. Like, this is... This is what Texans are made of. And so it's uniquely difficult for us. Let's just be honest. When, when we approach the word, and we're talking about being part of a kingdom and having a monarchy and a king, having a sovereign, man, like this language is just so foreign to Americans and in particular to Texans. 
But I'm praying and have been, and, and let us ask the Spirit to be active in this moment. And may he open our eyes to see the glory of God, and may he open our ears to hear from the Spirit, for faith comes by hearing. And we need this. We need to understand what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. As we work through the word and look at this thread, we're going to look at four truths about the kingdom. So let's jump into number one, which is understanding the kingdom. So we need to begin to understand what exactly the kingdom of God is. So understanding the kingdom begins where we began every single week in this series in Genesis chapter 1, where everything begins in creation. The Bible proclaims in Genesis 1, God as the eternal sovereign over all things. Now, the word sovereign is kind of a big word that we don't use very often. We talk about having a sovereign state. And so a sovereign country that they're self-governed and are self ruled. And so we're talking about the sovereignty of God. It means that he is autonomous, that he is independent, that he has complete authority, that he has complete control and ruling power. And so God is sovereign. That is at the core of the nature of God as he is sovereign. And so you see that already in Genesis chapter 1, you see the universal kingship of God. He is a creator, the sustainer. He's the ruler. He's defining reality. He tells that Amunib, this is what you are. You are in my image. This is your purpose. Display my glory. You have to have rule over the earth. He tells Adam, eat from this tree, but not from this one. God gives his commands. Everything about what you're seeing in Genesis 1 is God's in charge. He's the creator. It's his world. He owns it, and we have his image. We reflect him. And so what you see in the very beginning is a universal, a global kingship of God. Genesis 1.27 continues this theme of kingship. It should be on the screen. It's Genesis 1, 27, and 28. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He tells them to subdue and to have dominion. Those two words are kingdom words. To have dominion means that you have a a sovereign that has his domain, and he has dominion, ruling authority. And so you're seeing right out of the gate in Genesis 1, it's all about a kingdom. So you see in this progression, in this verse, you see the purpose of God to reflect his glory as image bearers. You see the blessing of God, which is his very presence is right there, blessing them. And you see the kingdom of God. Of God as well. Calling humanity, it says to rule, have dominion over the whole world. Now, this ruling authority that God gave Adam was under the authority of God. So God was the authority, but under that, 
Adam was called to have dominion over the earth. He was called to represent God and to lead all of humanity. It says to multiply and fill the earth. And so to fill all of humanity with the whole world to fill it. And so that you would have worshipers, so that you would have people that reflect the glory of God. And that here's the key, joyfully, that gladly submit to God's authority. That's the key. Not rebellious, not pushing back, but wanting to. And so what you're seeing here is in the very beginning, it's all about a kingdom. Genesis 2, the story continues. And you see Adam working in the kingdom. You see Adam at work naming the animals. You see him tending to the garden that God had made. He's fulfilling his calling and his purpose. And he has Eve, which would be a matter of time before they would do their thing. Thing. We have kids in the room, so I'll keep it rated G. That leads to having more children. That leads to having more children. That leads to them filling the earth. And all of the people on the earth would then know God and his ways and worship God and follow the, the king, Adam, under God's ultimate authority. And so what you're seeing here is the kingdom of God already described in Genesis 1 and 2. But as we're talking about understanding the kingdom, understand this, usually we think of a domain, having dominion as being a location. And so a lot of times we can think of God's kingdom as being a place. And sometimes we talk about entering into the kingdom and we think of it as a geographical area. But the kingdom of God is not a location. It's not at all. The kingdom of God is where God is ruling as king. And so God's kingdom refers to more, it's the kingship of God. This helps us as Americans to begin to understand that the kingdom is where God is ruling, wherever someone's heart is submitted to the authority of God the king when that is happening, then that person is under the authority, under the reign of God, and so they are part of the kingdom of God. And so if you're a believer right now and you submit to King Jesus, then what that means is that in your heart you are not rebelling or revolting against God's kingdom, but that you are gladly and joyfully submitting yourself to the kingship of Jesus, and so you are a member of his kingdom, where God is ruling over hearts of people that love the king and that want to obey him, that want to worship him and fulfill their purpose of reflecting the glory of God. So God's entire purpose, beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, in the very beginning, you see it, is the establishment of his kingdom. God is a establishing his reign. And so God's goal is to create a kingdom of worshipers. This is the purpose of God, is to create a kingdom of people from every tribe and nation and tongue, a beautiful diversity that has unity in worshiping the king, adoring him and gladly, willfully, desiring to submit to him. 
Now, another important point to mention that you see it already here in Genesis 1 and 2, that's part of God's kingdom, again, trying to understand the kingdom, is that God has always planned to rule over his people through a human mediator. So to mediate means to have a go-between. So oftentimes we'll talk about going through mediation. Hopefully you'll never need this because it means you're getting a divorce. And instead of going to an attorney and going through all of that crazy and the expense, you just get a mediator where that mediator is a go-between to get the two of you to talk and divide your assets. And, and so that's what a mediator is, a go-between. Again, hopefully you never will have to go through mediation in the legal sense of that. But when you use the word mediator, what it means is someone that represents someone else. And so God has always planned to rule through a human mediator, through a human representative, a human king who is the head of humanity, who represents humanity and represents God to humanity. And so this is the way God has always orchestrated things from creation. A head of humanity, Adam, who represents God and then would lead all of humanity to treasure God. And so Adam was the original head of humanity. And so Adam's role was global, which says fill the earth. And so Adam had a global calling as the head of humanity because God's kingdom has always been intended to be global. So from the very beginning, God's plan has always been, always will be, to be global, a people of God who are following the head of humanity and who worship the ultimate authority, God himself, where there is love and unity and joy and God's glory is being displayed. It's all about the kingdom, always has been, always will be. So you and I were literally made for the kingdom. Your purpose for being alive is wrapped up and tied to the kingdom of God. And so when you submit to God's kingship, what that does is it brings us joy because we are in the place of safety and freedom and hope and purpose in God's presence. Having a heart that desires God and his kingship because he knows more than we do. And so we trust him and we trust his loving authority. And so we have been created to happily submit to God and to enjoy him and this relationship of being in his kingdom. And so that's what it is. So what is a kingdom? It is anywhere that God is ruling in the hearts of his people. So number two rivaling the kingdom. So first, understanding the kingdom, now rivaling. So what is a rival? Well, you see the rival in Genesis chapter 3. What you see is Adam is supposed to be ruling, having dominion over God's good creation, but a demonic evil slithered into the domain of God where Adam was ruling. He went into the garden And the serpent tempted Adam to rebel against the kingdom of God. Now, here's the point is Adam was given authority, dominion over all creatures. And so Adam could have very easily crushed the serpent and ended evil. But he couldn't. 
He failed. Adam believed the word of Satan instead of the word of God. And Adam rebelled. Adam had lost his taste for God. He wanted more. Understand, when Adam reached for that fruit, what he was reaching for was Godhood. He wanted to be God. And what actually happened was Adam joined the kingdom of the serpent, the kingdom of darkness. Adam, what he did, you have to understand this. Adam chose to rebel against the kingdom of God, and he joins the rival kingdom of evil. He aligned himself with Satan. Adam, basically what he did in Genesis 3 is he changed sides. He said, I'm done with this kingdom of light business. I'm done with being an image bearer in God's presence. I'm done ruling under God's authority. I'm done enjoying the grace and the blessings of God. I'm done with the love of God. I'm done with God. I want more. I want to be God. I want to dictate my life and find my joy my own way. I want what my idolatrous heart wants, and I do not enjoy God anymore. And so I am joining the serpent because what he's offering is so much better. He's offering me that I can be like God. And this head of humanity led all the human race, into the kingdom of darkness. And every single human being is born into spiritual bondage. We are born in the kingdom of Satan. We are born into it. The whole human race is under the authority of Satan. Because the head of humanity, Adam, handed the kingdom, the authority, over to the serpent. Which is why in John 16, 11, Jesus called Satan, he calls him the ruler of this world. That's interesting. Jesus, the king of glory, calls Satan the current ruler of this world in John 16, 11. And then Ephesians 2, verse 2 Apostle Paul describes Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Prince as in royalty, as in monarchy. He says he is the royal, the prince, the ruler of the power, this evil power. He's the spirit who is ruling. And it's also why if you go to Luke chapter 4, it should be on the screens as well. Luke 4, verses 5 through 8, you have Satan who is tempting Jesus, in Luke 4, verse 5. And the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, this is Satan telling Jesus who created the world by speaking. Oh, this serpent has the audacity to say, Jesus, I will give to you what you already created. I'll give to you. To you I will give all this authority and their glory. Here's the key. For it has been delivered to me. 
and I give it to whom I will. If you, Jesus, then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan was giving Jesus a shortcut to win back the kingdom without having to die on the cross if he would simply just fall and worship the devil. And that way, once again, this new head of humanity would then be leading all of new humanity back into the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus, being Jesus, answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And Jesus just gives him a punch to the face and knocks him out and says, No way, no shortcuts. I will reclaim this kingdom, but not by submitting to you. I will reclaim it by defeating you on the cross. But I will reclaim what is rightfully mine, the kingdom of God. See, Satan was tempting Jesus the same way that he tempted Adam. But the new Adam did not give in. See, this kingdom of darkness, you think, well, what does it look like? Is it real? Like, sure, it sounds like, okay, all of this churchy, you know, spiritual talk on a Sunday morning, but is it real? Just look around you. The kingdom of darkness, what it brings is depression, hatred, Despair, curses, chaos, addiction, division, fear, death. That's the kingdom of darkness. And the rule of this world rules, if you want it, essentially, bottom line, is everything that is evil and false and corrupted. But the kingdom of God, oh, well, what does that bring? God brings joy, love, hope, blessing, purpose, order, and intimacy, and peace, and life. If you want a summary, everything that is good and true and beautiful. That is the kingdom of God. That is what it looks like when God is reigning, when God is ruling. You have goodness and beauty and truth. And when the enemy is ruling right now in the hearts of many people in our community, you see evil and lies and corruptions. And we ourselves share in our father Adam's corruption. We share, as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the total depravity, how we are completely, holistically sinful and our hearts gravitate. We desire evil and left to ourselves, we will not choose God in our own strength, in our own nature, within our own natural human nature, our abilities. We will never choose God. We will align ourselves with the serpent like our father Adam did every single time. We are not just that we won't, we can't in our own strength choose to love God. We need God 
outside of us to take the initiative and to liberate us from our slavery in the kingdom of darkness. There are two, two kingdoms that are at war. And I see it. I see the casualties. And you know what? Being, being a lead pastor and having planted this church by the absolute grace and power of God, I, I have this, this privilege, and sometimes it's, it's a burden, but it's a burden of love, and I love it. But I, I get an up-close, like, front-row view of, of two things. One, what God is doing. So I see the freedom. I see the deliverance. I see how God creates people new and changes hearts. I see it. But I also see the casualties up-close. I see the addictions, I see the chaos, I see the broken marriages, I see the struggles, and, and I know sometimes it could seem like, well, past Matthew, he's just got it all together, but I'm not, I don't have it all together. Um, many of you don't know this because um, since the shutdown, we've met a lot of new people that have been kind of visiting Renewal, but... Just seven months ago in December, my, my brother took his life. And, and I've had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and I had my moments where Bonnie, my best friend, knows me so well, second to God himself, no one knows me the way Bonnie knows me. And she'll say, you okay? And I have to tell her, no. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm struggling today. It's a, our language, it's a down day. We describe it that way. Um, I see it. I get it. There are real casualties with these two warring kingdoms where the kingdom of darkness is rivaling and usurping and trying to defeat and destroy the kingdom of light. We need a deliverer. We need a savior who will come and free us and give us new hearts so that we will then desire Jesus to be king. We need to be rescued from slavery in the kingdom of darkness and have a new head of humanity to lead us back into the kingdom of God, into the light. Which is number three, the third truth, restoring the kingdom. We see this. God is at work in restoring from eternity past. God has had a plan to restore his kingdom and to appoint a new head of humanity, the final Adam, Jesus of Nazareth, who is God in the flesh, the promised Messiah from Genesis 3.15, who would come and crush the head of the serpent and vanquish and end the usurping, rivaling kingdom and cast them into the lake of fire and complete his new creation with the new heavens and the new earth where King Jesus will rule over all nations and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, all to the glory of God. 
This is the purpose of God is the purpose of everything. And you can either bend the knee and bow down now gratefully in awe of this king of majesty and let him rule your life with goodness and truth and beauty. Or you can keep rebelling against God and shaking your fist against God. And then one day when you die, you will bends the knee and your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because every single human will acknowledge the kingship of Jesus. The question is, will you do it now? Joyfully, gladly, or against your will in the future before you are cast into the lake of fire? because you have aligned yourself with the kingdom of darkness. There's no third kingdom, and only one will reign. Only one will last. And God has been doing this from the beginning, and we can see it through the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. God has been moving and revealing and working towards bringing the Messiah who would be the king. Because God's purpose has always been to rule over his people through a head of humanity. You see it in Genesis 49. Again, beginning of the story in Genesis. If you go to the end of the book, you have a prophecy by Jacob who was renamed Israel. And this is what the Spirit inspired him to prophesy over his fourth son, Judah. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That is the same language, basically, on crushing the head. He's saying you will have your hand, the, the, the head snake crusher, you see here, will come from Judah. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow before you. So all the other sons of Jacob, all of Israel, all of God's people will bow before a descendant of Judah. Judah is the lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and the lioness. Who dares rouse him? This coming Messiah is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Verse 10, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. The scepter was the sign of authority. The king holds this like stick thing, but it's gold and it's impressive and it's called the scepter, his staff. And it's a picture of authority. It's the scepter will never depart from Judah. It says, until tribute comes to him and to him to be the obedience of all the Peoples, all the peoples of the world, all nations will obey this future ruler from the tribe of Judah. Who is that pointing to? Jesus. That's the answer. If you weren't sure who this is pointing to, it's Jesus. He is a descendant from Judah. But you see it continuing in the story. You see it also in Deuteronomy. Now, this is uh, Moses speaking. This is also a future promise, a prophecy. Deuteronomy 17, 
verses 14 through 15. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given to you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So this, when, when Moses wrote this, it was over 400 years before the first king of Israel. So this is four centuries before where he says, one day you will have a king, but make sure that he's a good one. It doesn't say you should not have a king. It says you will have one, but it says have one who is part of the family of God from the tribe of Judah and have one who will display the glory of God. Moses dies, and then Joshua takes over after him. And Joshua leads God's people to take back ground from the enemy by conquering the promised land. And at the time, the enemy was too powerful, and they were unable to defeat the enemy and establish God's kingdom. And so what happens is the serpent is still ruling, and what happens in the next book is Judges. We looked at that last week a little bit. And in the Judges, you see there is no king, and that is the last verse in the book of Judges, the very last verse of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a dark time. And you had like this false king in the era of the Judges, the son of Gideon, who called himself Abimelech, which Abi means son of Melech, means king. So he he called himself son of the king. Even the Gideon was not a king. He was a deliverer. And yet he called himself that. And he had this three-year pseudo reign, little mini kingdom where he called himself the king of Israel, but he wasn't. And, and Abimelech ends with guess how he dies. He has his skull crushed. His head was crushed. Sound familiar? Where God's promising to crush the head of the serpent. And now this usurper king, so you know who was at work behind Abimelech because you see even his skull being crushed. In that same era of the judges, you have Ruth, this amazing book. Love Ruth. You should go and reread it. It's good for your soul. And Ruth is this beautiful, bright book that takes place right in the era of the judges, where there was darkness and decay and evil and misery and no authority in the middle of chaos, you have Ruth. And this story ends with this woman from Moab, so not Jewish. Remember, obedience of all peoples multiply and fill the earth. The kingdom's global. And here you have this Moabitess. We don't know her skin color, but probably closer to black than white because they were dark in Moab. And so you have this woman who is not Jewish, and yet it says, here's how, how the book ends of Ruth. It says that she gave birth to Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Kingdom, again, being mentioned. Ruth, an heir of the judge, where there was no king. Everyone's going crazy because there is no king. Ruth gives birth 
She is the great-grandmother of King David. Ruth is a reminder that God's in control. Ruth reminds us that no matter how dark it looks for you today, God is in charge. God's got this. He is sovereign, and he will accomplish his purpose no matter how bleak things look. Ruth proves it. Jesus proves it. The last judge was Samuel. He anoints the first king of Israel named Saul. Saul, if you read his story, starts off pretty well, but quickly goes downhill. Early on, it looked like, oh, this could be the king. Like, this could be the one to establish God's kingdom and lead us back into having a a glorious kingdom of God. But no, it's not Saul. He fails. He is is killed, and now there's a new king, David. David becomes the second king, and David was from the tribe of Judah. Not surprising. It's like God planned it or something. And so this shepherd, again, huh, God who calls himself a shepherd, David was a shepherd from Judah, humble, from Bethlehem. And David becomes the best king that Israel ever had. And God makes a promise to David, which is a continuation of his previous promises about a kingdom. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Again, 2 Samuel 7, 16. And, and through the, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, God promises to David, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God is telling David that his throne, his lineage, his dynasty would last for eternity. That a descendant from David would rule over the people of God forever. And if you read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, what you see is failure after failure after failure after failure. None of those kings fulfilled this ultimate promise. None of the kings could defeat the serpent. None of the kings could end the kingdom of darkness and establish God's kingdom of light. None of them could do it. And the Old Testament ends with, with what seems to be David's lineage now broken because God's people are being ruled by a foreign kingdom, by the Persian Empire. And there is no son of David on the throne. And it seems like all is lost. And well, what happened at God's promises? I thought he had a plan to restore the kingdom. Oh, you got to turn the page. Keep reading the story. You get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Right out of the gate. The New Testament begins with this sentence. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All the promises of Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the son of David. He is a descendant. He is a rightful heir to the throne. He is the only one who could fulfill all the promises 
He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the deliverer to crush the head of the serpent. He is the eternal king from the lineage of David. He is the ruler worthy of praise from Genesis 49. He is the king who will have the obedience of all the peoples. Jesus has come to establish the kingdom of God. Where all other rulers failed. Jesus succeeded in defeating the enemy with his death and resurrection. So all hail King Jesus. We hail him. We worship King Jesus. It's all about the kingdom in creation, fall, redemption, consummation. These four key words that define biblical theology in the Bible storyline Creation, God created, established kingdom. Fall, the kingdom fell, the enemy took it. Restoration, Jesus defeated the enemy with work on the cross. So now he's leading us back into the kingdom of light and freeing us from the kingdom of darkness and consummation. One day he will return and establish the kingdom and every single person on earth, on the new earth, will joyfully submit to the king. And it is all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the new head of humanity, the head of a new humanity that are resurrected spiritually, that have been rescued, redeemed, freed from slavery in the kingdom of darkness, who have been led by Jesus, the king, into the kingdom of God. People that have new hearts with a new nature, that are citizens of heaven, and God is restoring his kingdom through Jesus, and it's about all nations, and this brings joy, because it's God's original purpose restored. Number four, as we begin to move towards our closing, like the airplane that's kind of going around the airport, it's getting close, it's going to land in a few minutes. Number four, living in the kingdom. So living in under the kingship of Jesus means a lot, but at least three things. And I'll just give you three somewhat brief thoughts about this so to get your mind around applying living in the kingdom. Number one, the first thought about living in the kingdom is we live in the now but not yet. Now but not yet. The kingdom is here now. We now are members of his kingdom. We have been rescued from the darkness. The enemy has his his death blow, but he's not dead yet. Satan is still alive and well and has his demons and he opposes the people of God. Yes, we have new hearts. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Now, so these kingdom blessings and kingdom realities are ours now but we are not yet glorified. We are not yet in the new earth. We are still in this fallen world. And so we live in this tension of now God's kingdom has come. He's ruling in our hearts now, but he has not yet finally defeated the enemy and recreated and established the new earth and completely consummated the kingdom. So we live in this tension of now the kingdom and yet not fully consummated. So this takes faith to walk in this. Number two, 
living in the kingdom, means reflecting the king. You no longer live in the kingdom of darkness. You have been set free. You are, are, you are a member. You are a citizen of heaven. And so it's time to act like it. This is who we are. This defines you. So I'm not saying change yourself. You can't. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's already done that. You have his spirit. You have a new heart, a new nature. You can grow in your sanctification and being more holy. You have everything you need, redemption, the Holy Spirit, the word, his people. It's time to walk in it, and it's time for us to reflect the kingdom and live according to the kingdom that we're a member of, not the one that we used to be a member of. Let me read to you one last text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. So 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 is awesome. And such were, not are, such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You used to be that list of evil things. That's not who you are now. You are not part of that old kingdom. You're part of the, the kingdom of God. And so now that you're washed and sanctified, you have the Spirit with faith. Walk in it. Draw near to Jesus. Walk with him. And live according to the kingdom. Number three, as we wrap up, the third reality of being part of the kingdom is that we're called to expand the kingdom. We're called to expand the borders of the kingdom. Now, when I say that, I know that there's popular teachings out there, and this could be a long conversation. My time is already all but expired. Um, that sometimes is called dominion theology. And it's this idea that through present-day apostles and prophets, the church can usher in the kingdom of God and actually remove curses from the ground and can go in the thing called spiritual mapping, go out and actually identify where demons live and then find out the name of that demon and, and bind him. And a lot of times this involves like physical tools, like driving like stakes into the ground and other kinds of, I'm not trying to be rude, but it's witchcraft. Because it's saying, here's these physical things, like a stake or whatever else that you might use, and it's as though these physical things have any kind of spiritual properties that can ward off evil spirits. That is pagan. That is not in the Bible. You will not find anywhere in here that it says expand God's kingdom by taking back physical ground. That's not what it means. When I'm saying 
to expand the border and to take back ground from the enemy. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about using the gospel to reach people with the good news of Jesus so that they're forgiven and made new and then they enter into the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about this other dominion theology or called kingdom now theology. We live in the now but not yet. There is a tension here. But Jesus is the one who took all the curses. Jesus is the one that removed the curses. We don't have the authority. No word that you see in the Bible that you're supposed to break generational sin or break curses or go out and break hexes that is not in the Bible. Jesus does that. We don't. We're not commanded to do that. We're commanded to love Jesus, to follow him, to trust him, to preach the gospel, to disciple. And so when we are engaged with the gospel, we're doing kingdom work. Work of the kingdom is seeing people set free from their slavery. It's seeing people come into the joy of God, into his kingdom. So we expand the borders of the kingdom with the good news of Jesus and see people love Jesus. And so may we be a church that takes back ground from the kingdom of darkness. And what I specifically mean is people, souls that are made in God's image. So God has a purpose to establish his kingdom and that kingdom is unstoppable because as Jesus prayed, his is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.